Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. We're so glad you're home for the long weekend and home in church with us. It's a uh, a privilege to be here uh, with you this morning. If I haven't met you before, uh, my name is Andrew, and I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks, Spencer. And um, last week, we started a, a journey that we'll be on for an undisclosed amount of time, and that is a study in the book of Ephesians. And um, this is something that um, God has just kind of put on my heart and our hearts to just sort of be more intentional for this season and digging just purposely into his word verse by verse and trying to just draw out and pull out for ourselves a greater understanding of who he is and what he's called us to do in this book of Ephesians is this, um, this grand and, and, and uh, majestic few chapters of writing, and some scholars have said it's actually one of the most majestic um, writings in all of antiquity. It's this, this high and lofty sort of uh, writing about who God is and who we are. It's these uh, essential ideas of life. What does the will of God mean, and how in the world would I know it, let alone walk it out? And what has God given me to actually allow me to walk through this life the way that he's designed and created me to? And the book of Ephesians touches on our identity and who we are, who we believe God is, and what we believe he's empowered and called us to do. And last week we started in this series, and if you want to recap, you can go online uh, on our website and you can listen to any of the messages, so I won't cover it, but... We, we started this series with this idea that the book of Ephesians is confrontational. And God isn't afraid of confrontation. <laughs> We're much more averse to it than God is. And last week we talked about the reality as we even just read the first few words of the book of Ephesians that, that one of the very first things God wants to confront in us is what we believe about ourselves and what we believe about him. The, one of the most foundational things he wants to confront in your life and my life is who I am and who God is. What is my idea of who I am and what is my idea of who God is? And today we're actually going to just step into part B of that message we called it getting confrontational last week and we're going to just continue on with this because if last week was about God confronting who we are this week we're still in the inner man or woman and we're asking the question of how God wants to confront our will what does God want to do in us in confronting our will? And what in the world does the Bible mean when it says the will of God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? What does it mean to, to follow after the will of God? What does it mean to surrender our will? We see these things all through scripture, but oftentimes they're just very nebulous and sort of uh, a little bit foggy and hazy for us. And so today, 
we're going to talk about this getting confrontational part two. And the reality that for you and me, after God has confronted our identity and who we are, he's interested in confronting our will. If you want to turn with me to the book of Ephesians, if you have your Bibles, that's awesome. You can uh, get them out. If you don't, that's okay. Uh, the scriptures, for the most part, should be on the screen. But um, we're going to move faster for, through this, but we're still not even going to be done verse 1 by the end of today, just so you know. Um, we'll pick up the pace a little bit later on. But there's so much. This is uh, what I was impressed with this week again. There's so much that we just gloss over and don't think twice about in the Bible. There's so many things that, that we can stop on and reflect on that I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to teach us about life through, that we just, we just fly over. And that would be the case with a verse like verse 1 of Ephesians. We started last week, this letter is from Paul. That's where we ended. And we talked about Paul and his identity and what God wanted to confront in who he was. Paul was a religious fundamentalist and terrorist before he met Jesus Christ. Before his life was changed and transformed, he was a man filled with anger and rage and hatred. He was a man bent on exercising rule and doctrine to the point of persecution and killing and violence to enforce what he believed the rule and law of God was. That's who Paul was before he met this man named Jesus. And so Paul says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. We're going to stop there and just kind of rest there for a minute because there's three things before we move on there's three things in this one statement that we need to ask ourselves that we need to reconcile what does it mean to be chosen by the will of God what did Paul mean when he said he was an apostle what did that mean for his life and who was this Jesus Christ that had actually transformed and and completely turned his life upside down until we reconcile what it means to understand the will of God, what it means to be called and sent, and how Jesus can transform and change our lives, it's useless for us to continue on in this book. It really is. And so today we're going to take a look at some of those things. As we look into this idea of the will of God, for most of my life I've believed that the will of God has more to do with what he wants me to do, either vocationally or who he wants me to marry or where he wants me to live or whatever, then who he wants me to be. And we'll see here, as we uncover kind of a biblical definition of our will, it might actually change things for you to understand what the Bible means when it says the will of God or the will of man or our will, what it's actually talking about. I'm going to actually just put it up on the screen for you. It's a word in the original Greek and Hebrew that indicates God's choice and determination, but emanating from his desire. 
So the will of God is not just a product of functional decision-making and strategic planning. The will of God actually is expressed through the desire and the heart of God. The Greek word is an emotional word primarily. Primarily an emotional word that talks about our heart and our desire. So when the Bible's speaking about the will of God and it's speaking about our will, it's not talking about X's and O's and strategy and it's not talking about making an intellectual decision one way or another. It's talking about the heart of God and our heart. It's asking the question, what does God desire and what do I desire? And how do those two things kind of merge together? Where is the interaction point? of those two things. So when Paul says, chosen by the will of God, he's not saying that God had his whiteboard out and he just kind of, uh, just a void of emotion. He's just putting X's and O's, you know, um, out there like a, you know, like a calling a football play or something like that. He's not just, you know, sitting back as the coach and just saying, you go here, you go here, you go here. When he's saying, I'm chosen by the will of God, he's saying, this is the heart of God for my life. This isn't just about X's and O's. It's not just strategy. It's not just a means to an end. It's not just like this one thing in my life or nothing else. It's actually, this is the heart of God for my life. When I'm chosen by God, I'm actually experiencing the revealed heart of God for my whole life. God does have an intention and a purpose and a plan, but that's actually a different Greek word that's used. And the Bible is very specific about parsing out the difference between the two. There's a difference between God's planning and, and scholars talk about God's will at several levels and there's this thing called um, the God's will of necessity or his will of decree, which means that he has to act out of his character. He did that in creating the universe. It was an expression of who he was and his majesty and his glory. That there are times and periods when God strategically lays out a plan. And the Bible says that God has a detailed plan for this world and for your life. The Bible says that nothing happens. Nothing happens outside of God's knowledge and understanding. God is aware of everything. And he has strategy, but as Paul is talking here, and as we're going to learn today, when we look at the New Testament word for will primarily, it has to deal with heart and desire, not just strategy and execution. Even when God lays out a path and a strategy for our lives, it's not driven by unemotional sort of, it's not divorcing the mind from the heart. It's actually God purposes and plans things for our life out of his desire for us. So a logical question for us to start would be, what does God desire then? If will is not just about mind, but it's about heart, what does God actually desire? And I have a few suggestions for you. You can jot these down. The first one, and probably the strongest desire of God as we see through scripture 
is the desire to save and redeem. If you want to turn with me to 2 Peter 3, verse 9. God's desire is this, as Peter says. He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God's desire, his desire and his will is that you experience his saving grace. God does not desire or have a will that anyone should die. That anyone would experience his wrath is not the heart of God or the desire of God. It's a necessity because God is just and he's holy and there are consequences to our life. But his heart is not that we experience the anger and wrath, but the love and the mercy and the leadership of God. His heart is that no one would perish. That's God's will of desire for this world, for humanity. He made us in his image as a reflection of who he is. He's imprinted in us at the very deepest levels his DNA. He doesn't want to destroy his image-bearing sons and daughters. He wants us to live. God's will and desire is for life, for salvation and restoration for us. The second will of desire that God has can be found in Psalm 139 in the Old Testament. One day I'll put stickies in here, so, but it helps you. I've been told that you need time to help look for these two, so we'll just fumble through together. Psalm 139. So if God desires that no one should perish, but that all would receive eternal life. All would walk with him. Psalm 139, verses 1 to 5 says this, O Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Verse 16, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. The second desire of God's will is to know us and be known by us. The second desire of his will is intimacy with you. Not just kind of intellectual understanding and and parsing out doctrine and theology, but his desire is that you would know and love him as intimately as he knows and loves you. That, that level and that depth of desire and care and concern for us would be reciprocated back to him. God's desire is to be known by us. His desire is to walk closely with us. I love how David puts it there. You place your hand of blessing on my head. So often, I'm not even thinking about it. When, when I want to communicate to my kids that 
that I'm here and that their dad is present, I just place my hand on the back of their head. Say, I'm your father. I love you. There's nothing that could ever change that. I want to know you and I want you to know me as your father. Not just some dude that kind of lives in the same house as you. In Psalm 23, David said, the Lord is my shepherd. He didn't say the Lord is a shepherd who governs all of the sheep of Israel and all of the people of the world. He said he's my shepherd. I know him and he knows me. God's will is that you would know him intimately. That you would intimately experience his life and who he is. The third will of desire of God can be found in Matthew 11, back into the New Testament. Matthew chapter 11 says this. Reading verse 28 to 30. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I have and give you is light. The third will of God's desire is to provide for you and lead you. The desire of God's heart is not just to kind of kick you out to the curb to experience the real world by yourself. His desire is to actually carry you, to sustain you, to fill you, to renew you, to give you hope and to give you peace and to give you joy. His desire actually is to walk beside you into the purposes and plans that he has for you. That's why he says, exchange that yoke of heaviness, exchange your burdens and let me carry it because I'm easy and light. I want to walk with you. I want to go ahead of you. I want to be behind you and beside you I want to lead you the heart and will of God is not just to sit back he didn't just create the world and all the natural laws and then just kind of throw it out there in the middle of the universe and say now take care of yourself govern yourself rule yourself supply for yourself meet your own needs Struggle for yourself. Live for yourself. That's not the heart of God. The heart of God is to walk with us in intimacy, in knowledge of knowing him, and to carry us when we need to be carried, and to push us when we need to be pushed, and to lead us when we need leadership, and to stand beside us when we need someone there, when we need friendship and intimacy and comfort. He's there. The will and heart of God, as seen through Scripture, is to live with us in relationship. These are three aspects of the will of God's desire for all of us. His desire to save us. He doesn't want anyone to perish. I think one of the often misrepresented verses in the Bible related to hell 
I just was reflecting on this the other week, that God didn't create hell for us. The Bible's very specific. God created hell for Satan and the angels that joined with him in rebellion of his kingdom. His desire is not that we choose to go to a place of torment he didn't design or create for us. His desire is to walk in intimacy with us, but he gives us our own will and desire, which we're going to just talk about here. Those are three of God's will of desire. So what is our will of desire? How do we understand? When we say, God, I surrender my will to you, I surrender my life to you. God, your will be done in my life. Your kingdom come. What are we actually saying? We're not making an intellectual statement that that we verbally affirm with our mouth only, but we're actually making a statement of desire. God, I surrender my desires to you. You know, we live in a culture that glorifies and celebrates and exalts our emotional state, the heart. It says, chase after your heart, follow your heart, go after your heart. What do you like? What do you desire? What do you long for? Just go after it, chase it. It's good, it's good, it's good. And the Bible says, no. Not once does the Bible say, follow your heart. Not once does it say within your heart is everything you need to to make it through this life. Not once does the Bible lead us to trust in our own heart. In fact, it's quite the opposite. I want to read to you exactly what Jesus said about our heart. Matthew 15. This is what Jesus says about our heart. And if our will is attached to our desire in our heart, we better understand exactly what it is Jesus is talking about. Matthew 15, 18 and 19 says this. He's talking to the Pharisees and they're talking a bunch of nonsense to him. And he says, don't you understand anything you eat passes through the stomach and it goes into the sewer. He's saying, look, it's not what you take in, and they were fighting about religious rules, about what food was proper and what was improper and what you could eat and what you couldn't eat, and they were trying to get hung up on all of this religious red tape, and he said, look, it's not what about what's about what's coming in. Verse 18, but the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you i.e. our heart. From the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. The Bible never says, go ahead and trust your heart. It'll lead you to your purpose and your calling. It never says that. It says actually from our heart comes everything wicked and adulterous. We can't trust it. By nature, it actually needs the fingerprint of God on it. It needs the transformation of the blood of Jesus Christ on it. We can't trust it. Listen to what Jeremiah says in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 17 says this about our lives and our heart. 
starting in verse 5. This is what the Lord says. So this is what Jesus is speaking directly to Jeremiah. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited, salty land. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. When God is confronting our will, he's not confronting necessarily or exclusively your desire to do said thing in the future. He's not confronting your plans to do X, Y, or Z. He's actually confronting something deeper, and that's your heart. When God confronts our will, he says, what are you desiring in this moment? Today in your life, what is driving you? What are the, the things, the motivations, the desires, the, the heart things that are driving you? What's leading you to make the decisions you are? What's leading you to go to the places you're going, to watch the things you're watching, to say the things you're saying? What's leading you? Is it your heart or is it me and my heart? Have you allowed me to exchange for you your heart of stone and give you a heart of life? Be led by my heart because my thoughts towards you are good. I have a future and a hope for you that you can't even understand. Even if I told you, be led by my heart and allow your heart and your desires to be crucified with Christ. When Jesus said, as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood, when he said, not your will, be, not my will be done, but yours be done, he was saying, God, not my heart in this moment, because I don't want to do this. Everything in me wants to avoid the torture and death and crucifixion I know is two days away. Everything in me wants to rebel but not what I desire in this moment. Your desire, Father, is that no one would perish. And the only way that that's going to happen is if I yield my desire to your desire and become the saving lamb of God to the world. That's how we yield our will, our desire to the heart of God. Every day we have an opportunity to say, God, I don't want to trust the emotions going on in my life. I don't want to give them more weight than they deserve. What is your heart and your desire for me? Because his desire is good and his heart is pure. We can actually trust his heart for us. One of the biggest lies that we have to confront in our day and in our time 
is this idea that you do what you do, you follow your own convictions, what's right for you is right for you, and what's right for me is right for me, and nobody's wrong. That we're just molecules and atoms and matter, that what we do physically has no impact on our spiritual life. That giving ourselves over sexually to other people or looking at pornography or lashing out in anger or judgment or lying or stealing or cheating or committing adultery, that none of these things matter. They're just, they're just flesh. It's just human biology and anatomy. It's just a, a consequence of Darwinian evolutionary theory. And God is saying, no, 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 no. You can't separate these two things. You can't separate what you do from what you desire. And you need to actually bring your desires under my lordship and authority so that what you do becomes a reflection of what I desire through you. You see, the, the power of Jesus is that he didn't come to just change what we do. Religion does that. You've tried that before. You try that every January when you buy that gym membership again. And then within two weeks, nobody's going to the gym anymore because we're trying to just change what we do. What Jesus comes and offers us is not just to change what we do or to exercise a new program. He comes to change the desires of our heart so that we long after the things that God longs for. This is what it means when Paul says, I've chosen by the will of God. It means I am following now the desire of God's heart for my life. It's changed my trajectory. So what are we called to do? Mark chapter 1 gives us a pretty short and succinct answer. This is the will and heart of God. Mark 1, verse 15. The kingdom, this is Jesus speaking, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. In order to walk into relationship with God, which is the desire of the will of God that no one should perish. In order to walk into the life that God has for us, there are two things that are necessary. Repentance and believing. I just want to look really briefly at what those words mean because they may not mean what you think they mean. Repent comes from a Greek word, metanoia, and it means literally a change of mind. Not about plans, intentions, or beliefs, but rather a change in the whole personality from a sinful course of action to God. And get this, it speaks of a change of purpose and specifically turning from sin and the desires of our heart that run contrary to God. So repentance is not getting on your knees one time and praying a prayer one time and just saying, all right, God, it's done. I've punched my ticket to heaven. When I was a kid going to Bible camp, I remember specifically uh, in, well, I don't know how old I was, but I remember the teacher of one of the Sunday school classes saying, all right, kids, now if you pray this prayer right now, it doesn't matter what you do for the rest of your life, you're going to heaven. That's what I grew up believing. 
That's what I grew up believing repentance was, was just this intellectual agreement that, okay, God, I acknowledge I don't want to go to hell, and I'd rather go to heaven, so I'm going to declare you, Lord, out of my mouth, and then I'm going to move on. Great, everybody's happy. Except that's not what repentance means. Repentance is not only that changing of direction, but it's actually a reorienting of our desires, of our purpose. It's actually repenting of and turning around from the things that you and I do every day that run contrary to the heart of God. It's actually examining our lives and our heart every day and saying, God, are there things in my life today that run opposite? to your will and your desire and your heart for me? Are there things that I'm inclined to do or sin that I'm habitually struggling with or things that are going on that actually grieve you and run contrary to you? Nowhere in the Bible is there one prayer that we can pray. I think our, especially our Western church has done such a massive disservice to you by cherry-picking a few verses out of the Bible and just saying, hey, you just pray this and everything's good. We talked about this last week. There's a tension in the scripture. There's a tension in Jesus' teaching that says, look, yeah, salvation is a gift, but by nature, gifts are designed to be opened and used. It's not a gift if you get it leave it wrapped up and put it on your shelf. My wife gets so mad at me for that. Literally yesterday, we were going through my closet and there were clothes in cellophane wrapping. And I said, what are these? She said, that's what I bought you two years ago for Christmas. But you were too good to open that. You didn't want that brand or whatever it was. And so I put it on and I went, yeah, you're right. I don't like it. <laughs> but I opened it. And by nature, the gift of God through Jesus Christ for salvation demands that we open it and use it. The Bible talks about salvation not as a one-time event, but actually a journey and a progression of our lives and our hearts toward God. To repent actually means to surrender our will and our desire to God. And that's an ongoing thing that Jesus invites us to do. It's not just a prayer we pray. Jesus' statement there is twofold. You need to repent and believe. When we understand the the meaning behind those words in the original language in the Greek, believe it's not just, again, this intellectual understanding, like, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in the Bible mostly. But believing has attached with it synonymously obedience. That it's not only just about not desiring those things that actually grieve the heart of God, but it's actually walking in obedience that a requirement for salvation and life is not just to say, you know what, Jesus, you're my Lord, and then go on with things the way that we choose to, to live for ourselves and gratify every desire of our heart, that actually it's the process of walking in obedience. And when Paul says, I, I'm an apostle by the will of God, 
He's saying, not only have I changed in what I believe and who I am, not only has God confronted my identity and not only has he confronted my desires, but it's changing the course of my life. The things that I'm doing now are consistent with the heart of God and daily I'm inviting him to lead me. Daily, I'm inviting him to say, what do you want me to do today, God? What do you have for me today? How can I honor you and glorify you today in my life? Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, 7, whatever, I forget what the verse is, but 7 something, you can look it up. Just read the whole chapter, it's good. Um, He said in Matthew 7, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will be invited into the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father, who actually walk in obedience to the heart of God in their life, who actually desire the things that God desires. You see, we have this twisted idea that's from the devil that, that, that if we surrender, it means the, the doom and destruction of our joy and our passion. That somehow we know better what gets us excited and causes us to come alive. And so we chase these momentary experiences. We chase sexual gratification and we chase drunkenness and we chase relationships that have no fruit or no value. And and we soon learn that, man, this is an insatiable desire that I, I need to keep coming back and back and back. And it actually leads us deeper into bondage and deeper into suffering. That's not the heart of God. His heart is that we would trust him so much that we would say, God, I don't trust my desire now, but I wanna live for yours. I not only wanna repent, but my belief needs to express itself in action. For Paul, as he was writing to Titus in the New Testament. He was writing about this dynamic. And as he was writing about this, he uncovers something so clear for us. He says this in Titus 1, 15 and 16. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupted. Such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. So Paul is saying, look, you can say all you want, but your actions are speaking louder than your words. You can call yourself a Christian, but what happens in your secret thought life? But what happens in your daily actions, how you treat your wife or your kids? But what happens when you're confronted with temptation? What happens when you're tempted to actually be dishonest in business? What happens? Are your actions speaking louder than your words? Are your actions in alignment with the will and heart and desire of God? Jesus said, repent and believe. Allow me to transform your desire and then trust me because where I'm leading you, where I'm leading you is a place that will actually cause you to come alive and give you life and not death. For Paul to say he was an apostle, that word apostle means sent one. 
There's in, in this, Paul is acknowledging to everyone through history that not only was his will of desire given over to God, but his will of direction was given over. God, you can lead me to the place that you're calling me because I trust you. I know your heart is for me and not against me. I know that no weapon formed against me can stand or prosper. God, not only do you have my will of desire, but you have my will of direction. God, my future is open for you. And as Paul is writing this about the will of God, he's not looking to some mysterious future somewhere. So we, we have this distorted idea of like, God, what's your will for my life? And it must be this one decision 20 years from now, and I'm just praying for some secret divine revelation. And then we look at our Fruit Loops and our alphabets, and they say things to us in the bowl, and we look at the clouds one day and go, whoa, whoa, that must be a mystery from God. And we get this, it's called Gnosticism. We believe that somehow like the Da Vinci Code is the map for our Christianity. And we're looking for signs, and we're looking for all these things, and God says, no. My will for you is to walk in obedience to me today. My will for you is to trust me and know that my heart is for you and to desire the things that I desire. My will for you is to just follow me today and ask me, just try asking me, where do you want me to go today, God? What kind of conversations do you want me to enter into? What do you want from my life today? Not in 20, 30 years. So as Paul is saying this, he's actually saying it as a reflection of the past going, look, I didn't know how all of this was going to turn out, but now that I'm 20 years into this, I see that I'm an apostle by the will of God because I decided to get off my butt and do something with my Christian faith. That's why God calls us all to serve in the church. That's why the Bible talks about our money so much. God doesn't need your fives and tens. He knows that your wallet is attached to your heart and he's going after your heart. And that's why he says, give generously and irrationally. That's God's will for you and me. It's to surrender our resources to him, to trust him with our lives, to surrender our hearts to him. Salvation, repentance cannot be separated from our actions. And I feel like God is speaking to our church, to you and to me. I do not want to stand before God one day because I'm going to be judged more harshly than you are, the Bible says, for what I said and what I told you. I'm not going to stand before God one day and be guilty of telling you, you can just pray a prayer and then go on living the way you want. Just gratify every desire. You've got your golden ticket, go ahead. I feel the, the conviction of God to say, no, God wants your heart. He wants your life. And what he has in exchange for you is freedom and joy. It's peace and hope. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. 
Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.